0: Bible with me to the Gospel of Mark chapter 10. We'll be in verses 1 through 12 this morning. Mark chapter 10 verses 1 through 12. And This morning we will hear divorce discussions from Jesus himself. You might say, well I wasn't aware that Jesus was going to be here this morning speaking to us. um, But in reality, anytime we come to the scriptures, we come to the word of God. The Bible says Jesus was the Word of God made flesh. So we cannot separate the Word that was written from the Word that was incarnate. And so anytime we come to the Scriptures, it is Jesus Himself that is speaking to us there. And I think it's important for us to remember that anytime we come to the Word, but even more so perhaps when we're approaching a sensitive topic like this one this morning. Divorce is something that affects probably all of us in some capacity in this room today. Perhaps you've been divorced or someone you're close to, someone you love dearly has experienced divorce and we all know it is a very painful thing one way or the other. Now as we've been working our way through Mark's gospel, it might seem a little out of context for this subject to come up at this time because in Mark chapters 8 through 10 we see Jesus talking about the subject of discipleship, what it means to follow him, what it means to live for Christ in this world and we might say what does divorce have to do with that but I think we're going to see this morning it has everything. As we live our lives for Jesus, every aspect of our lives needs to come underneath his lordship. And that includes the subject of marriage. And so Jesus turns his focus, or actually his focus is turned in that direction we're going to see this morning. And he elaborates his thoughts on the subjects of marriage and of divorce. And I believe as his followers, we need to embrace God's design for the permanence of the marriage relationship. If nothing else, we see Jesus championing marriage this morning and his instructions for us is that we need to embrace God's design for marriage and that includes the permanence of the marriage covenant. I want to invite you, if you're able to this morning, stand with me please in reverence for the reading of God's holy word be reading from Mark chapter 10, starting at verse 1, and Mark writes these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Getting up, he went from there to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. Crowds gathered around him again, and according to his custom, he once more began to teach them. Some Pharisees came up to Jesus, testing him, and began to question him whether it is lawful for a man to divorce a wife. And he answered and said to them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. But Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh." What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. In the house the disciples began questioning him about this again. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she herself divorces her husband and marries another man, she is committing adultery. Let us pray together. Mighty God, we pray for your presence here this morning as we open your word we do so with the conviction this is the holy word of God it is therefore authoritative it is true and trustworthy it is powerful father as we come to a subject like this divorce and the way it impacts so many of us all of us in some shape form or fashion Lord I pray that you would speak to us God where we need to be Challenged, And we need to be convicted. God, do that. Father, perhaps we need to be comforted this morning. And I pray you would do that. Father, our desire is to be faithful to your word. And our desire is to be transformed by your word. And Father, we come this morning praying that you would speak to us. That we would be faithful to you. Faithful to your designs, especially in the covenant of marriage. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So, said at the beginning, the theme of discipleship is dominating the end of chapter 8 all the way through chapter 10 here in Mark. And we can define discipleship perhaps simply as learning from the master and, and imitating. Uh, the, imitating the Master. And Jesus in chapter 9 has given us his second passion prediction. In other words, he has told his disciples that the cross is imminent, and he is teaching his disciples how that impacts us as followers of Jesus. What are the practical implications on our daily lives as we seek to follow and imitate the Master, knowing that Jesus went to the cross to suffer and to be a sacrifice? for those he loves. How does that impact us in our lives, specifically in our relationships with others? He's been dealing with that in chapter 9, our relationships with our brothers and sisters, we have seen already. And he finishes there in chapter 9, verse 50, with the statement, Be at peace with one another. The Lord's desire is for his people to be at peace in their relationships. In our relationship with God, it comes through faith in Christ. In our relationships with others, in which our love for God is manifest in the way we treat others. So in that theme, in that context, we see Mark turning his focus here now in chapter 10 from the, from the, from the general context of discipleship, what that means in a general way in our lives, to specific application. And he begins with the foundation of all relationships where our, where our relationship with God intersects most closely with our relationship with others and that is found in the institution of marriage. Before getting specifically into the topic of marriage, Mark in chapter and verse 1 here gives us kind of a transitionary statement about Jesus but it also lends, I think, Importance to our interpreting what follows. The first thing we see in verse 1 is that as disciples, we need to stay committed to ministry. As we follow in the footsteps and the example of Jesus, we need to stay committed to ministry. We are to be faithful to God's calling wherever we are in life. Wherever we are and whatever that looks like at that moment, we need to be faithful to God's calling in our lives. We see in verse 1, first of all, His position changed. It says, getting up. We saw saw Jesus back in chapter 9, verse 35. It says, He was sitting. He was teaching His disciples there in the house. And now we see Him getting up. He has changed His position. There is more work for Him to do. He came to teach about the kingdom of God, yes, but also He came to do more than just teach. He came to die as a substitute. As a sacrifice for sins. And so as there was more work to do, his position at this time changed. But also, his location changed. We saw in verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 33, he was in Capernaum, which is north of Jerusalem. But beginning at this point now, it says he got up and he went from there to the region of Judea in the south and beyond the Jordan, across the Jordan River to the east specifically to the territory known as Perea. As he is moving southward, he is moving towards Jerusalem and ultimately towards the cross. See, Jesus knew God's will for him involved suffering. He knew the Father's will for him involved sacrifice. And he was not deterred from what God had called him to do. He was going to be obedient to his Father. He was going to be faithful to his Father. He was going to be faithful to those he loved, to his bride, the church. Even if that faithfulness involved sacrifice and pain. See, Jesus was faithful to his ministry, even though his position and his location had changed. And by the way, on his march towards Jerusalem in the cross, we see Jesus crossing over the Jordan into Gentile territory. Which is interesting, as Jesus was going to the cross to be a substitute and a sacrifice for sins, that was not only on behalf of the Jews. It was a universal sacrifice that included also the Gentiles. I think it's interesting that Mark includes this itinerary of Jesus moving in that direction it's not just a jewish savior folks he is a universal savior for all peoples who would come to him in faith and repentance his position changed his location changed but yet his mission remained the same it says that he was beyond the jordan and crowds gathered around him again crowds in the plural it's not unusual for us to see jesus in a, in a crowd in mark but this is the first time that crowd is in the plural The crowd became crowds, multiples. And it says they gathered around him again, and according to his custom, he wants more. You see, Mark is emphasizing that this is not Unusual for Jesus, this was the norm. He had a mission. His mission involved being faithful to the Father, His mission involved loving those around him, and that included taking the time to instruct them as the opportunity presented itself. See, he was faithful to his mission. His mission remained the same. You know, like Jesus, it seems sometimes our lives are in constant flux. The seasons of life we see slipping away and one chapter closes and another chapter opens and and your situation in life may be not the same as it was 20 years ago or 10 years ago or even last year or maybe even last week. Our lives are always changing and we constantly need to be adapting to what's going on. Yet, in the midst of the changing seasons of life, faithfulness... So God is always expected. No matter your location, no matter your position, wherever you are, God demands your faithfulness. Your faithfulness to Him and your faithfulness to others. And we see that faithfulness intersecting in marriage, which is where verse two begins to shift its focus. As his disciples, we are staying committed to ministry, but also we need to stay committed to matrimony, to matrimony. His concern is for our faithfulness, and that is displayed in the marriage relationship. Faithfulness. Faithfulness to God, faithfulness to others. In chapter 2, the first thing we see here is the devaluation of marriage. As the Pharisees come on the scene, we know that they are His constant thorn in His side throughout His ministry. They're always seeking to disrupt His ministry. They feel threatened by His ministry. And their desire is to derail Jesus and His popularity to their authority. He was a threat. The devaluation of marriage in verse 2, it says, "...some Pharisees came up to Jesus... Testing him. This is the same word is used of Satan coming to Jesus back in chapter 1. Testing Jesus in the wilderness. Right after his baptism. So their activity was satanic activity. They came to him not wanting his instruction. They came to him not wanting his direction. They came to him with hostile motives. They wanted to destroy him. So they came to him testing him. And in their effort to do that in this situation, they began to question him whether it was lawful for a man to divorce his wife. Now, every Jew understood that in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 24, God had written about the idea of divorce. And so it was not debated in that time whether or not the law allowed for divorce. What they were interested in was the reasons for divorce. You see, that was a very controversial topic. It's a very emotional in a very controversial topic for us today and it was for the same reason in Jesus' day. So they came at him wanting to cause him harm by bringing up this subject. You see, first of all, they knew that it was a religious issue. They wanted to divide Jesus from the peoples. One way they could do that was to see what his opinion was on this idea of marriage. You see, in the Jewish law at the time, the Jewish interpretation of the law, there were two points of view. There were those who had a conservative view of Scripture. Those rabbis taught the only reason a person should ever get divorced is because of adultery. They thought adultery was the exception that a person could pursue divorce because of those grounds. That was the conservative school. The liberal school, on the other hand, taught that a man could divorce his wife for any reason. And they had writings and teachings according to that. You could divorce your wife for something as simple as burning your supper. Literally. It was in writing. If your wife spoiled your dinner, you had the right as a husband to put her away. Or even, for example, if you no longer found your wife attractive... And she was not pleasing in your eyes anymore. You could legally write a certificate of divorce and put her away. That was the liberal interpretation of Deuteronomy 24. And that was the popular interpretation of Deuteronomy 24. Why? Because that's what the Pharisees wanted to stay in place. You see, it was a religious issue because if Jesus took the conservative side, He would isolate the liberal side. And if he chose the liberal side, he would isolate the conservative side, and wherever the people fell on this issue, if Jesus chose the opposite, he would appear to be he would appear to be intolerant. You see, that was a word, and that was a hurdle even Jesus had to overcome in his day, much like we do ours the devaluation of marriage. It was a religious issue in that day. It was also a political issue. You see, Jesus had crossed over the Jordan into the region of Perea. He was underneath the jurisdiction at that time of Herod Antipas. Remember what happened back in Mark chapter 6 when John the Baptist had preached against Herod Antipas divorcing his wife and marrying Herodias and Herodias divorcing her husband which happened to be Herod's brother Philip divorcing Philip and marrying Herod John the Baptist had preached to get him it is not lawful for you to take this woman as your wife what happened to John the Baptist he was imprisoned and ultimately beheaded so the Pharisees perhaps saw that the setting was right and the trap was set and they began to bait Jesus and thought well maybe if Jesus speaks against Herod like John did he'll suffer the same fate we won't have to worry about getting rid of Jesus the political authorities will do that for us so Jesus come on tell us what are your thoughts on marriage and divorce it was a political issue the bottom line it was a spiritual issue I said the Pharisees wanted to maintain the status quo They wanted an easy out in marriage. They wanted to be able to dissolve the covenants as painlessly as possible. They wanted the law to justify their sinful desires. As they came to test Jesus, the very reason they were testing Jesus betrayed the intent of their hearts. This was then as it is now, the topic of marriage and divorce, a spiritual issue. The Pharisees had devalued marriage. In verses 3-5 through we see the deterioration of marriage. Something has happened that has corrupted God's design and Jesus brings that to the surface in this discussion. But before he does so... He answers their question, as he often did, with a question in verse 3. And it says, and he answered them, and he said to them, what did Moses command you? He said, all right, you teachers of the law, what does the law have to say on this matter? And they answered him, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. You know, they were experts of the law. Perhaps they wanted to quote that law to justify their thoughts, well, Moses permitted. You see, right there, there's, there's, there's already a, a difference of interpretation there. He said, What did Moses command you? And, and, and while Moses permitted divorce, Moses nowhere commanded divorce. And she said, What did Moses command you to do? And they said, Well, Moses permitted. You see, they were wanting that escape clause. Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. And Jesus says, it is because of your hardness of hearts He wrote you this commandment. He didn't say it was because of the hardness of the hearts of your forefathers. It's because of the hardness of your heart. The law is there because your hearts are hard to the intentions of God. Your hearts are corrupted by sin. And so you are approaching the topic of marriage and divorce with a corrupted heart. The only reason why laws had to be instituted regarding divorce is because of sin. See, when Moses wrote about divorce in Deuteronomy 24, it was to protect the, uh, the well-being of the wife. If she was going to be cast aside, as they were doing already, God needed to regulate that sinful activity. And say, well, if you're going to put your wife away, you need to give an official declaration in writing that needs to be legally authorized. And in doing so, you permit her, you release her, so that she might remarry. You see, if you just cast her aside with no ability to remarry, a wife in that culture, a woman in that culture, was dependent on men to survive. If a woman did not have a father, a husband, or a son to provide and protect her, she was helpless. And by writing that certificate of divorce, a husband was allowing her the freedom to remarry so that she could be provided for, protected, and Jesus said it's because of the hardness of your heart that that even had to be considered. You see, any divorce that happens, any sending away of someone from the covenant relationship of marriage happens because of sin, does it not? Whatever reasons, whatever the grounds were for divorce, whether it be adultery, whether it be abuse of different kinds, one spouse physically, verbally, emotionally, sexually abusing the other spouse, or whether it be just sheer laziness. A spouse or a couple says, you know what, I don't love this person anymore. They don't make me happy anymore. It's not worth fighting anymore. Let's just go our separate ways. That's the sinful attitude. It's giving up. Show me in Scripture where God says, I want you to be happy. No matter what, I want you to be happy. doesn't say that in multiple occasions God says be holy God's more concerned with your holiness than he is your happiness We're no longer happy anymore that does not give you the excuse that's a sinful reason for divorce And Jesus says it's because of the hardness of your heart that he even had to regulate this issue it should not be an issue but it is because marriage is deteriorating because of sin And so to answer that question, Jesus has turned their minds back towards the Scriptures, and then Jesus had contrasted what was written there with the hardness of their hearts, and then Jesus gives the definition of marriage. Jesus returns to God's original plan back in Genesis before the fall in chapter 3. You see, marriage came about, marriage was created and instituted by God back in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 before sin ever came into the picture. And so to get God's intention for marriage and what marriage is and what it should be, we need to look back to the original design. And that's where Jesus now points his audience and that's where he points us. And we say, what does a definition of marriage have to do with the idea of divorce? To understand what we should be against, we need to first understand what we should be for. What should we support? What should we fight for? And it is this definition of marriage. And to have marriage according to what God has designed, we need first of all parameters parameters are required in verse 6 he says but from the beginning of creation and here Jesus is taking them back to the original design the blueprint for what marriage should be Jesus says let's go back to what God first created in verse 6 from the beginning of creation God made them male and female right there is the first parameters you have one man and one woman Polygamy outside the parameters of God's design people say well you see Old Testament saints and Old Testament heroes had more than one wife that was outside God's design God said it's not good for the man to be alone and so God created one woman for that man but you also notice that God created a woman for the man he didn't create another man In God's design, homosexuality is outside the parameters of marriage. If God wanted homosexual unions to be the norm, He would have created another man to be with Adam. And then you see already there are some problems, some hurdles you need to overcome with that original couple. He says the parameters, one male and one female by God's design... And you notice who who says this, who advocates this? Jesus. There are some today in our culture that try to argue for gay marriage and say as Christians, you need to understand Jesus never once said homosexuality was wrong. He didn't have to say it was wrong. He had to say this is what marriage is by God's design in creation, there was one man and one woman. He created a male and female. Jesus is advocating the original blueprint for marriage. He doesn't have to say, this is wrong. He has to say, this is right. And if it's not this, it's wrong. There are parameters there. And those parameters continue. Verse 7, he says, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother. He continues here, quoting Genesis. Speaking of chapter 2 of Genesis. Leaving his mother and joining to his wife. There is a public leaving in a private cleaving he says he is to leave his father and mother in an in a official capacity setting aside the old way of life setting aside the, the, the existing family definition and joining to his wife and whatever culture that looks like it's a, an official whether it be a ceremony or some sort of official recognition that this man has joined to this woman there is a leaving he will leave his father and mother the bonds of holy matrimony are stronger than even the bonds of parents and children he will leave his father and mother he will join he will cleave to his wife and then the two will become one flesh the becoming one flesh does not happen until after the official leaving capacity you see so many people today want to put the cart before the horse don't they we want to be joined in one flesh, but we don't want to have this public recognition of marriage binding us first. So the parameters, not only you've got one man, one woman, you've got an official leaving and then a cleaving, ceremony, then consummation. That's God's desire. Anything that falls outside of those parameters, contrary to God's will. Multiple spouses, wrong. Homosexuality, wrong. Wrong. Premarital sex? Wrong. Cohabitation before marriage? Wrong. Those are all things that fall outside the boundaries of God's revealed will. If it's outside the boundaries of God's revealed will, what do we call that? Sin. It's sin. The public leaving and the private cleaving. Parameters required. But then Jesus teaches also permanence required. He goes back and continues on speaking in Genesis. He says, And the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but they are one flesh. And who is the one doing this? What therefore God has joined. It is God doing this. It is a divine union. It is a holy action. It is God taking two and making a new creation. This one did not exist before God made the two become one. One. This is an act of God. Every single marriage is God taking two and making them one. A married couple is the creation of God. What God has joined together. A heavenly action. Holy matrimony. What God has joined together. Let not man separate trying to undo what God has done, trying to destroy God's creation. Isn't that what the serpent did? through his tempting of Adam and Eve, destroying creation. By the way, he came at the marriage relationship and strained the relation between husband and wife in order to do that. What God has joined. See, there is permanence there because it's a divine action from God. And any time we seek to do undo the activity of God that is rebellion. We call that sin. <coughs> Permanence in marriage is required according to God's design. Now as churches today in America, we are upset about the whole gay marriage thing. At least we should be because it is contrary to what we have seen. God's revealed design. The Supreme Court of the United States is going to be hearing and making rulings and decisions about whether or not gay marriage should be legalized on a federal level, whether or not every state in the union must support and perform gay marriage. And our church, like so many others, are are, are being forced to amend our own bylaws to state what we see as a biblical definition of marriage and why we will not perform gay marriages. It's unfortunate that we have to put something like that in writing. It's already in writing. <laughs> but we've got to do that to protect ourselves. And, and churches and Christians are so upset about the gay marriage issue. Rightfully so. But what about the divorce issue? Well, you know, that's, that's a touchy subject. Yeah, it is. It, it is. But is that any reason why we need to stick our heads in the sand and pretend it's not going on and pretend it's not a problem? You know, depending on who you read, statistics will say, well, just as many people, just as many Christians divorce as non-Christians, but that's skewed because people call themselves Christians. They identify themselves as Christians, even though they're not in practice. So even though that number is less than that, it's still there. It still exists. It's still an issue that we must address because Scripture addresses it. Malachi chapter 2, verse 16 says, God hates divorce. We've already said any kind of divorce takes place because there was sin somewhere involved in what God had created. Whether or not it was considered justified, whether or not it was excusable, whatever we want to look at it, every single divorce is a picture of a, of a failure of God's original design. God never intended marriages to dissolve but they do whether or not it's justified or not whether or not there's guilt just remove that every time a marriage falls apart it's a picture of of an undoing of what God intended and that's a harmful thing it's harmful in our relationships it's harmful in our relationship with God we need to stay committed to matrimony as his disciples because that's God's design. Finally, we also need to stay committed to maturity, to growing in our faith. And oftentimes, God uses difficult circumstances, does He not, to grow our faith? Staying committed in marriage is hard. Was, Rhonda picked out the songs for our services, as she always does, and based on the topics and she picked the song just a closer walk with thee and she says because if we're going to stay married as as couples we need to stay close to Jesus (laughs) because it's hard people don't have Jesus in the equation I don't see how they do it you take two people who are sinners and you make them one and say okay make it work how do you do that without Christ how do you do that without grace and love so God often uses difficulties and, and He sanctifies us. And there are a few things in life as sanctifying as marriage when you learn how to give and take and cooperate. So we need to stay committed to maturity of growing in our faith. And that, and that includes, first of all, growing connection to Jesus. Verse 10, says, In the house the disciples began questioning Him again about this. You see, they were intrigued and, and they, they needed further enlightening and they said, Jesus... They approached him and they said, Jesus, help us understand. Now wouldn't it be nice if you and I could have an audience with Jesus? Wouldn't it be nice if we could sit down and say, Jesus, I need some understanding. Help me. Give me some wisdom. You know, we do. We have that privilege. It's called prayer. One of the ways we can grow in our faith and mature in our faith, we stay connected to Jesus in prayer and commune with him fellowship like the disciples in the house you see the crowds weren't in the house but his true disciples had that privileged audience with the master so grow in your connection to jesus but also grow in convictions to jesus because jesus taught we see in verse 11 and 12 whoever divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery and if she divorces her husband and marries another man she commits adultery and Jesus was not ashamed he was not afraid of the ramifications of his teachings John the Baptist imprisoned and beheaded because of this very thing and Jesus said I don't care right's right and wrong's wrong come what may my convictions are this is the father's design for marriage he didn't care what the Pharisees thought about him. He didn't care what the public thought about him. He only cared about what the Father thought about him. His convictions were firm. And you and I, we need to grow in our convictions to Jesus. Sometimes it takes courage and boldness to make a stand for what God says. Sometimes it's very unpopular. Sometimes there might be consequences. Are we going to back down? Or are we going to grow in our convictions? Become more like Jesus. Finally, we need to grow in our conformity to Jesus because that's the bottom line. That's what, di- that's what discipleship's discipleship is all about, becoming more like Jesus, being conformed to become more like Jesus. And that includes submitting to Him and understanding that when we rebel against God's design and there's a negative, defa- a negative effect of our relationship with God, it also negatively affects others. He speaks about divorcing your wife and marrying another. And it looks like the intention there. Is searching for those greener pastures saying you know what I'm married I'd rather be married to that person over there so I'm going to divorce this person so I can marry this person or vice versa and Jesus said when you do that when you set this person aside to pursue your happiness what happens to that person what kind of impact are you leaving on them And he says, no, a disciple is one who pursues peace. A disciple is one who loves their neighbor as himself. And how can you say you love this person when you abandon this person so you can pursue that person? Jesus said, no, your, your negative actions, your rebellion impacts others, especially your spouse. In the midst of his teaching on discipleship, we've already seen Jesus' is concerned with showing his disciples what it means to truly love, to follow in Jesus' examples. Even though it's difficult to stay with that person, Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. Folks, that's suffering involved in that. And that suffering is for God's glory. And to stay committed in holy matrimony, even though it takes... Hardship and difficulty, and sometimes it's not always pleasant. You're pursuing holiness because that's what God's desire is for you. Because you realize, as we all do, divorce is it wrecks. It's devastating on people, and not just the husband and wife. You bring in other family. You bring in children and the list goes on it's a painful thing and God says if you truly love me and if you truly love your neighbor you will stay committed in this relationship because love is concerned not only with our interest but love is more concerned with the interest of others I want to do what's in the best interest of this person is it in the best interest of this person that I abandon them and pursue that person over there? no Love says you pursue the interest of others more than yourself. I don't feel like I love this person anymore. I don't enjoy this person anymore. But if I left this person to go pursue somebody else, what impact would it leave on my spouse? I don't want to hurt that individual. I love them too much. I want to do what's right for them and what's best for them in God's eyes. Faithfulness to God's design includes faithfulness to your marriage partner, and that means working through those difficulties. So, as Christians and as a church, what are some practical steps that we can take to pursue God's design in marriage? Well, first of all, I think we need to speak the truth of God's word. Divorce is failure of God's intended plan. Even if it's permitted, which Scripture does in certain instances permit divorce I think Matthew mentions adultery Paul speaks about in 1 Corinthians 7 abandonment of a believing spouse by an unbeliever there are exceptions and I think each case you need to approach scripture and allow scripture to speak truth in that situation but even if it's permitted it's a failure of God's original design whether who's to blame and all this ignore that God never intended for marriage to dissolve we speak the truth of God's word but yet we speak the truth in love and we acknowledge first of all unbiblical divorce is sin but it's not the unforgivable sin the intention of scripture is never to lay so much guilt on an individual that they can't get out of that guilt Because grace is sufficient. Even if you're here this morning and you've been divorced and you realize, man, it wasn't, it wasn't biblical grounds for divorce and, I, and I've sinned, repent of that to God. Ask God's forgiveness. What's in the past is in the past. Give that to God. Don't hold on to that guilt. You see, Satan wants to take people who are forgiven and make them feel guilty. And he wants to take people who are guilty and make them feel like they don't need forgiveness. Confess your sins to God. Plead the blood of Christ. Even if your divorce is unbiblical, it is forgivable if you will repent. Number three, we need to shut the back door by narrowing the front door. (laughs) What do I mean by that? We got so many people that are getting divorced because, quite frankly, they never should have gotten married in the first place. <laughs> and as a pastor, it is my responsibility to pronounce God's blessing on the union. And if I see something going on that should not be, I should not pronounce a blessing on that union. Because I realize, number one, hey, this is headed for disaster unless somehow, some way God intervenes. <laughs> So I think we need to make restrictions in our lives and in the life of our church about who gets married. As a minister, I have developed a written marriage policy about whose marriages I will perform. And I am unashamed to say it is a very strict policy. In the beginning of my ministry, I would marry anybody that would come to me because I would say, hey, it gives me an opportunity to set through counseling with these individuals and share the gospel. And I saw it as an evangelistic effort Now, I would marry anybody that would come to me as long as they went through counseling. But after watching more than one couple that I married get divorced and suffering through that situation and saying, I saw something in this that I felt was off, but I did it anyway. I have now enacted a written policy. It is available. I printed a copy of it and put it on the side table, and I've got more if you're interested in that. And it it, it addresses issues like this. Divorce. Is there divorce in the picture? Why? How come? Is there repentance? So forth. Living together before marriage. Issues like this. Whether or not there is an unbeliever or unbelievers involved. I won't marry. I won't marry a Christian to a non-Christian. Scripture says an unbeliever shouldn't be shackled yoked together with an unbeliever because it's asking for problems. Now, I'm not saying that marriage can't work and it won't work, but I can't myself pronounce that blessing. If you've got an unbeliever or unbelievers involved, it's a sensitive area. I'm aware of that. And I've turned away more people than I've married in my ministry. And I make no apology for that. Scripture is, we need to shut the back door by narrowing the front door. And this morning, if you are single and you are not married, you need to be very, 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 very selective on who you do marry. Because if you realize getting into that union means it should be a permanent union, I need to make sure God is going to bless this union. Be very selective finally we need to offer support and encouragement to those who are already married this is a discipleship issue regardless of what's happened in the past whether there's been divorce in the past you you give that to God you take where you are right here right now and you give the present to God and you give the future to God and so if you are married stay married and we need to do everything we can to say you know what what's happened in the past has happened in the past But take where you are right now and give your best to God and glorify God with your life right now and give the presence of God. And we as a church need to be supporting and praying for and doing everything we can to nurture marriage. It's a discipleship issue. If you're married, you need to stay committed no matter what. If you're having problems and there's difficulties in your marriage and you're even... Don't ever mention the D word. It's not an option. It's not an option. And I'm your pastor. It's not an option. What should be pursued at all times is reconciliation, even even if there is adultery involved the most God-honoring thing is to work through that and restore that relationship I'm not saying it's, it's sin if you do get divorced because scripture permits that but the greater thing to do is pursue reconciliation at all times because permanence is what God has designed so wow that's, that's tough stuff but discipleship is hard it's not easy It requires higher standards. It requires important choices. Jesus says, whoever. Whoever comes after me must take up his cross daily and follow me. To take up that cross means you give it all to Jesus and you make hard choices. That includes sometimes the hard choice of staying together and working it out. You see, why is it so important? Because we want to be faithful to God's design. We want to be loving to others. But also we understand the greater truth that Scripture speaks of. Marriage is a picture of Christ's love for His church. And the Scripture teaches us Jesus will never divorce His church. Earthly marriage is a shadow of a greater heavenly truth. And to dissolve an earthly marriage is communicating to this world that there is a way in which Jesus and His church can be divorced. That's not the case. So we need to embrace God's design for permanence in the marriage relationship. If there's been divorce in the past, we give that to God. If it's unbiblical divorce, we repent, receive God's forgiveness. And wherever you are right now, if you're single, be committed to God's design before you enter into the marriage relationship. If you are married right now, stay committed to God's design by staying committed to your marriage. Discipleship. Being conformed to the image of Christ. Submitting to His teachings. And perhaps there's no greater way in which we can do that than embracing God's design for the permanence of the marriage covenant. Let's pray together.